What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Fireside Giants. I'm your host, Anthony Rivardo, joined today by a very special guest, Patricia Trena. She is the writer and publisher for GiantsCountry.com, a fan nation of Sports Illustrated. You can find her on Twitter at Patricia underscore trainer or X as we call it nowadays. Um, she's also the host of the Locked on Giants podcast. You can go ahead and find that and all of her work down below in the description box. Today, we're going to be previewing week one of the NFL preseason, New York Giants versus the Detroit Lions. And Patricia has been at training camp the entire time getting a firsthand experience. She's going to go ahead and fill us in on what's been going on at Giants training camp and help us preview this upcoming game. So before we dive into all that, make sure to leave a like if you did enjoy this episode. Subscribe to the channel if you are new and comment your thoughts on the topic down below. Make sure to go ahead and leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed the episode on Apple and Spotify as well. And follow us on all of our social media channels at Fireside Giants. Without further ado, Patricia, how are you doing today? Thank you so much for joining me. And what are you seeing over at Giants training camp? Well, thanks for having me. First off, I think this is this my first time on your show. It might be my first or this is your second time. Oh, you, my second you, time. Uh, okay, so yep, it's you joined while, us then. on um, our charity live stream with Tom Coughlin, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, Jay Fun right. a couple of years ago. Yep. But we're all happy right. to have I, you back. My, my bad. I, it, it's been so while, and after a while, all the tastes run together. Run together. Oh, so, sure. and plus, you know. Anyway, uh, no, I'm doing well. So thanks for having me, and uh, having a great time at training camp this year. I've got to admit, you know, I was telling somebody. Um, the other day that that uh, usually when we hit that six week break after the mandatory minicamp wraps up, I usually don't want that break to end because it's like a chance to kick back, slow down a little bit, recharge and everything. This year, I was very, very excited to, to go f- to fast forward to training camp because of the excitement of the buzz, you know, what I had seen in, in the, um, the OTAs and the mandatory minicamp. And you know, you couple that with this new schedule that Brian Dable put in place, the three on one off for the first couple of weeks. And I've got to tell you, it has not disappointed. I, I, I've just been having a great time. Um, there's a lot to be excited about from what this team is showing. And you just hope that everybody stays healthy because, you know, we know all know that the Giants have been one of the most injured teams in the last several years. But if everybody could stay healthy, my goodness, I guess the sky could be the limit for this team. Yeah, that's what it sounds like, and that's what it's looking like. You know, I've been keeping a close eye on all the highlights day by day, the practice report, and we've got some standout players that we're going to dive into. Before we do that, I want to ask you, because I saw on Twitter you mentioned that the playlist has been really good at Giants training (laughs) camp. So I'm curious, what's your favorite songs that you've heard at camp? Uh, There's been so many. I mean, I have uh, rap, hip-hop. Uh, classic rock. I have all kinds of genre on my iPhone and they've had, uh, you know, at the the night practices, they've had a DJ there and, you know, just, you can't help. And I'm going to, I'm going to make sound foolish here, but you can't help but like kind of bop to the music. You know, (laughs) they've played Springsteen, um, you know, Biggie, uh, the notorious B.I.G. rather. Um, Gosh, a whole bunch of no, uh, no young Joker. I know somebody had asked me if they played <laughs> young Joker, but I, I, there was no young Joker. So yeah, just a lot of classic music, a lot of rap. It's just been a good mix, and you know, it just what's interesting is is Brian Dable plays the music while the guys are working. You know, on the team drills, it's, it's kind of like to keep everybody loose and everything. Whereas in the past, you would have coaches go like dead silent so that the players could concentrate, and everybody just stays kind of loose and. It's just kind of an, an interesting dynamic to see. And it, it rubs off, I guess. On, I know it rubs off on me because it's like, okay, I'm writing and I'm 
you know, going up and down, popping and whatnot, and just having a great old time. That's awesome. Yeah, it seems like the atmosphere there this year is just so positive. Everyone's really excited. And, you know, again, we're hearing a lot of great things about returning players and new players as well. But one player that we've been hearing a lot about, he's featured on the graphics down in the bottom right corner, Daniel Jones. I heard that he's been throwing the ball with a lot more accuracy, with a lot more velocity. What are you seeing from him? Because everything that I'm reading, it sounds like he's been absolutely lighting it up throughout training camp. Yeah, you definitely see Daniel Jones playing with a little bit of swagger. Now, I made that observation on the Locked on Giants podcast, and I think a Daniel Jones hater said, well, he's not getting the pass rush. Nobody's rushing him. He knows he's not going to get hit. No, that's true. I mean, you know, he's not going to endanger being hit. But that being said, you still got to get the ball out of your hands. You still got to make the play. And what I'm seeing from Daniel Jones is more decisiveness, quicker decisions, the right decisions. And he's been putting the ball where, you know, I would say most of the times he's been putting the ball where only the receiver can get it. And that we didn't see that last year. You know, we, we saw a guy who was kind of feeling his way around in this offense. It was a new system for him. This is year two and they've added some new wrinkles to it. It's, you know, they've, they've taken it from level 101 to level, you know, 201 now. And you just see a difference in Daniel Jones and how he's approaching it and the confidence level, which I don't know was necessarily there this time last year. Yeah, he's sounded a lot more confident in all of the pressers that I've seen. And I think that, you know, it's a good sign when he starts posting on social media because he's so private and reserved. But he's been making a few Instagram posts here and there. I'm starting to think that we're seeing a new Daniel Jones who's just more confident in himself, more excited to be out there and really engage with the fans. And I think it's really exciting. And one of the things that is hopefully going to help take Daniel Jones to the next level is the addition of speed into this offense, right? The Giants add Darren Waller, who I'm sure we'll dive into, but I want to dive into the other speedy guy that's just been tearing it up, third-round rookie Jalen Hyatt. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the questions that I have for you about Hyatt, you know, as we prepare for this upcoming preseason game, is this a player that we expect to be suiting up? I would assume that Daniel Jones doesn't play in this game, but Hyatt, third-round rookie, I think that we'll see him play, but you might have a better idea of that than I do. And also just want to hear your thoughts on what you've seen from him as, again, he's just been playing so well over at training camp. Yeah, uh, Brian Dable hasn't said what the plan is for how he's going to distribute the reps, but I would think Hyatt's going to get some reps. I mean, I can't imagine they're going to sit him down. I mean, you want to start seeing what he's going to look like against other competition. I do think, you know, the rep distribution is going to be based on what happens in the upcoming joint practices, the Lions and the Giants having joint practices, two of them um, before the preseason game. So I guess that's going to depend on how much work each player gets, and that's going to be used to determine who plays and who doesn't. But, you know, the thing with Jalen Hyatt, you know, he started off slow, um, you know, wasn't getting the ball a whole lot in, in terms of, you know, the passing game. And then all of a sudden, boom. I mean, this guy was getting not only getting the ball thrown to him, and what's cool about him is how he splits coverage, right? How he gets separation. I mean, how many times could we say last year that the receivers, you know, the Giants receivers separated on a consistent basis? Probably not a whole lot. Um, you know, Jalen Hyatt also the body positioning, just you know, turning his body in such a way to box out the defender from, you know, maybe getting a hand in there or whatever. So really a good job. And, you know, the other cool thing about him and, and his game is, um, you know, if they're throwing from their own end zone to, like, say, midfield, is that Jalen Hyatt has the yards after catch ability to tack on to those deep balls that he catches. So 
really impressive job by this young man. The confidence is growing. You can see it every, just every day, but he's not to the point where, you know, he, he thinks he has it all figured out. You know, he's, he's working at it. He's quietly answering his critics. I know a lot of draft critics um, right around the time he came out in the draft questioned whether or not he was, a, you know, going to be limited because of the offense that he ran in school and whatnot. But he's basically done everything they've asked him to and done it at a high enough level. Yeah. And, and that's really what we want to hear, hear from a rookie, just acclimating himself very quickly to the pro game. And as you said, it's going to be crucial to see how he faces other competition. And I think that's one of the opportunities that preseason is going to provide him. And we'll be able to see exactly how the Giants are going to be using him, you know, where he's going to be lining up. I'm assuming primarily out of the slot, but it'll be interesting to see if they put him out wide at all as well. I'm going to be keeping an eye on that. But that reminds me of another player that the Giants added this offseason in Darren Waller. Now, I'm really excited to see how they utilize him, and I'm hoping you can share some insight on that from what you've seen at camp because this is a guy who can line up at every position on the field um, in terms of outside wide receiver, jumbo slot, inline tight end. He can do it all, and we're hearing that he looks like a player that Daniel Jones has never had the opportunity to play with in the passing game. So, you know, if you could help us get even more excited about Darren Waller here and share some insight. Well, if you remember back in 2006, 2007, when the Giants brought in Plaxico Burris for Eli Manning, that's the best comparison I can give you. What Darren Waller is to Daniel Jones, Plaxico Burris was to Eli Manning, a nice, tall, um, sure-handed receiver, even though Waller's a tight end, as you mentioned. But what's really cool about Waller and and, and just the offense in general, and I, I, I know I asked Mike Kafka this um, when he spoke to the media this past week. I said to him, gee, are you trying to rival Wink Martindale in terms of having a positionless offense? And he kind of smiled at, at me and he goes, oh, you know, we're just experimenting with moving different guys around. But, you know, you look at all the talent now that they have in, in Waller, uh, Paris Campbell, Jalen Hyatt, you know, Darius Slayton coming back, Isaiah Hodgins coming back, Sterling Shepard coming back. They can do a whole lot more. And, oh, let's not forget about Saquon Barkley, who's also been moved around a lot more. I think I've seen Barkley – more involved with the passing game this summer than I than I recall seeing him last summer. But yeah, Waller is definitely the crown jewel, if you will, of that offense. He's a guy that I've yet to see anybody really be able to guard him. Um, Micah McFadden did have a pass breakup against him, but that was, you know, the, the number of times you can, you know, that he, that he didn't catch a ball because a defender got in there and broke it up, you could probably count on one hand. So I'm really excited about Waller. I'm hoping he stays healthy because, um, you know, what we're seeing is what, you know, was advertised, you know, what he was prior to the two year stretch where he had all those injuries and he's going to help this offense a lot if he can stay healthy and be on the field for them. Yeah, and we know that health is the key factor for Darren Waller. He's missed a lot of time with injuries over the past few years. But if he does stay healthy, I think the comparison that you made there with Plaxico Burris is just excellent. In fact, I, I made a similar comparison. I made that comparison actually on our live stream on Wednesday. I said, you know, when the Giants signed Kenny Galladay, everyone wanted him to be the Plaxico Burris for Daniel Jones. It didn't pan out. But I think that they went out there and really found it this time, hopefully, with Darren Waller. And I think that it's just this is the way to unlock that next level of this offense with everything that Dable and Kafka wanted to do. Darren Waller is just going to open everything up for them and give Daniel Jones a sense of dependability that I don't think he's ever had since entering the NFL outside of handing the ball off to Saquon Barkley. Um, but 
another player that you mentioned there, Michael McFadden, getting a pass breakup on Darren Waller. Now that's a position battle that I'm keeping a close eye on because we know that it's Bobby Okereke's unit now. He's the starting number one linebacker, but next to him, open competition. And it got a whole lot more interesting when Gerard Davis went down with that knee injury, because now it's really just these two second year linebackers who are going at it with Micah McFadden and Darian Beavers. So what are you seeing from those two guys? And if you had to kind of, you know, say who's running away with that race right now, who's leading the race, which way are you leaning between Beavers and McFadden based on what you've seen at camp? I wouldn't say anybody's running away with it, but if I had to pick somebody who was maybe slightly ahead I might go with Beavers in this instance. You know, McFadden, like I said, one of the things I know he he struggled with last year was in coverage. He he, you know, his physicality was one thing, and then coverage was another problem for him. He's gotten a little bit better in coverage. Um, is it good enough? That we still need to see. And I think these these next three preseason games will tell us a little bit more. But I would say right now, you know, given the priority of stopping the run, Beavers has done a really good job with coming up and filling holes. I mean, the run defenses look so much better thus far in training camp. I mean, you don't hear about, you know, Saquon or any of the running backs really breaking long runs up the gut because the linebackers are just doing a much better job coming up and filling the holes. There's another guy um, in that mix, and I don't think he's going to necessarily start for or, or challenge for a starting job. He could be a good rotation player, though, and that's Deontay Johnson, he, who was a uh, undrafted rookie signing. Um, Wink Martindale has mentioned him a couple times, and this is a guy who could maybe do some blitzing for you off the edge because I think he played defensive end, I want to say, in college at Toledo. So that's another guy to keep an eye on. Now, you know, you're right, though. It, it, it's a two-man race between McFadden and Beavers. But I think, you know, maybe they go with a committee for all we know, because that seems to be where they're headed in certain positions in terms of, you know, maybe slot cornerback. There might be a committee at safety. There might be a committee. Um, it's all about matchup football. And I think now on both sides of the ball, they have the players to better match up against some of the opponents, whereas last year they didn't really have that. Yeah, and you mentioned one of those positions that I wanted to dive into next there with safety, and I'm really curious by what's going on in that rotation because we all saw that unbelievable interception that Jason Pinnock made to close practice last week. Um, I've never quite seen a player reach up there and make a catch like that one, minus maybe a couple that we saw from OBJ. I recall when Odell had the backhanded, one-hand touchdown grab in practice against Janoris Jenkins a few years ago, but... This is probably the best practice catch I've seen since then. That one was just mind-blowing. And so I'm curious how Pinnock is playing otherwise. Obviously, we saw that one highlight. We know that the Giants really like him. Maybe they're trying to position him for that starting job. But there's a few players who might be trying to grab that job. I know Bobby McCain is kind of a player who could be in at slot cornerback, could be in at safety. Dane Belton, kind of the same thing there. So from all these defensive backs and really from Jason Pinnock, what are you seeing? And do you feel like at this point in training camp, maybe it's Jason Pinnock's job to lose? Yeah, I, I would say it probably is Jason Pinnock's job to lose because he's really come on strong. And it's interesting, that interception he made that you referenced, that was on a dead play. That play was blown dead. So that play, that ball should have never been thrown, but they did it anyway, as they do in training camp. Even though the quarterback gets quote-unquote sacked, they still go ahead and throw it. But, you know, the thing about Pinnock, and I liked his scheme last year, what little I saw of it, I said to my and I remember saying to myself that if they couldn't bring back Julian Love, would Jason Pinnock 
make the most sense as the, the heir apparent to the starting job. And that seemed to be the way they were going. Now, in the springtime, Pinnock had, I think, a sh shoulder inch issue that he was recovering from. I think it was a shoulder. And he didn't really partake too much in, in the spring. And I, you know, I wondered if he was going to be ready to start training camp. And he, of course, is. And But, you know, Pinnock gives you snaps on special teams. So really a solid young player. And, you know, you mentioned Dane Belton. Belton has worked in the dime package for them. Um, Bobby McCain. I know he was aiming to get that starting job, but if, if you're talking about risers and fallers, maybe his stock has slipped a little bit because of the rise of, of, of Pinnock and, you know, the solid play, like I said, of, of, of Dane Belton and those sub packages. So we'll, we'll see how it all shakes out, but um, the safety position and, and for that matter, the cornerback position, that whole defensive secondary, I, I had questions coming in and a lot of those questions are starting to, ease up to where I'm not as maybe nervous as I was about that unit as I was at the start of camp. Yeah. And you know, some of those young defensive backs, those cornerbacks, that's what I wanted to ask you about next here, because obviously the giants went ahead with Deontay banks in the first round, a really exciting selection. That was the guy that I wanted in particular as well. I was really surprised to see him land to the giants all the way down at 24 after the trade up one spot, but Trey Hawkins, who could have seen that coming six round draft pick old dominion, small school, and he's been running with the ones. He's been balling. He's just taken off here at training camp. And so I want to know what you've seen from those two rookie cornerbacks. And I read that, of course, the Giants have been toying with the idea of having those two play on the outside and moving a Dory Jackson into the slot. So I'm curious with this slot cornerback position battle going on. We know Cordell Flott's gunning for that job. Darnay Holmes seems to be struggling. I would assume that he's probably, you said, risers and fallers. I would assume he's a faller here through training camp. But major riser in Trey Hawkins. And so from all these young cornerbacks, um, I know Hawkins is definitely standing out, but what do you think it is that's allowing him to have such success early on here at training camp and really just take off like this as a six round rookie? I think it starts with the mental aspect. I mean, the game is not too big for him. Sometimes when you come from a small school, now you're facing the big boys, so to speak. It's like, oh my goodness, we're not in Kansas anymore, you know? So Hawkins is kind of, you know, stayed even keel and like, okay, I've got the man in front of me that I've got to beat and I'm going to beat him. And I don't care if he came from Alabama. I don't care if he's a, you know, a 10 time pro bowler. I don't care what, what, what his background is. And he just has that resolve. And, you know, in having spoken with Trey Hawkins a little bit, he's a fighter. He's, he's, he's quiet. He's self, he's soft-spoken, but he's got a little bit of feistiness to him. And I think you see it in his game. And what really stands out to me about how he plays the game is that sticky coverage of his. I mean, he just stays with the, with the uh, receiver, the intended receiver, like, you know, no one's business. And, you know, he's not afraid to stick his hand in there or get physical. And I don't think he's drawn a whole lot in terms of penalties. I mean, sometimes with a young guy, and especially from a smaller school, you see them get a little grabby at the top of the, uh, of the routes. You see them get a little, you know, too aggressive. Hawkins has played with pretty good discipline, I think, you know, in these practices. Like I said, I can't, maybe a couple penalties here and there. And one, I think was an iffy one in my estimation at any rate. But, uh, you know, clean game. And, you know, you mentioned the, the formation with um, Dory Jackson coming down in the slot and Hawkins and uh, Deontay Banks as the outside cornerback. I think that's going to be an option. I don't think it's going to be like an every play type of deal. 
I kind of get the impression that, again, matchup football and matchup football. Yeah, you have a couple guys that are going to be constant starters and constant presences in the lineup, but you're also going to see like in that slot cornerback spot, I wouldn't be surprised if you see a rotation based on the matchup. So if you've got a big tight end and the slot from the opponent, you're going to want to put a big guy in the at, at slot cornerback to match up as opposed to somebody who's a little smaller. So I think that's the whole objective for this coaching staff is to better play matchup football. Yeah, and I think it'll be interesting for Dory Jackson because I've looked through his snaps by position on pro football focus throughout his career. Very little playing time in the slot. But I think it's good, as you mentioned, for the matchups that they acclimate him a little bit more to that role because with some of these wide receivers that the Giants are going to be facing, um, particularly in the NFC East, we know that C.D. Lamb for the Dallas Cowboys, he loves to move into the slot. Might be really beneficial for the Giants to get a Dory Jackson comfortable moving into the slot, facing him one-on-one there as well. But I want to get back to the rookie cornerbacks because we talked about Trey Hawkins, and I'm almost starting to feel like his emergence has overshadowed Deontay Banks in some ways. Everyone's really just enamored by Hawkins. Um, And not to say whether or not Banks is playing poorly, but just Hawkins is playing so great right now. So I guess I'm curious, the overshadowing in in some ways here, how is Banks handling it and how does he look otherwise? Because again, so much attention being paid to Deontay Banks. We haven't really heard as much about how Deontay Banks has been performing at training camp. Yeah, I don't think it bothers him, to be honest with you. I mean, this this is a kid who, you know, comes in, takes each play as they come and forgets about the results. So I really don't think he's he's sitting there going, oh my God, the attention's on Hawkins and not on me. So that's good. I mean, the, the training camp slogan, by the way, is we, uh, what, what was it? Yeah, we is greater than me is the new training camp slogan that you'll see on the t-shirts of the staffers. So uh, Banks actually, you know, epitomizes that. Um, as far as how he's looked, he got off to a little bit of a slow start, you know, but I think the game is starting to slow down a little bit for him because remember in the springtime, you know, they're not really allowed to be physical. There's no pads, there's no contact. Once players, especially defensive players can get back to their natural habitat, if you will, then you start to really see what they bring to the table. You take away some of their aggressiveness you know, during the acclimation period where there's no contact, no pads. And I don't know that it's fair to sit there and say, oh my God, this guy is not what we thought he was. So you're starting to see him kind of turn the corner because that aggressiveness is coming back. But I haven't seen him make, you know, again, to my eye at any rate, um, I haven't seen blown coverages. I haven't seen him be too over-aggressive. Now, you know, again, we'll see what the next three games tell us with him, but slowly he's coming along and I think he's going to be fine. You know, the more reps he gets, the better he's going to play. Yeah, that's encouraging news. Absolutely. But I'm also curious, though, because of how Hawkins playing so well and um, as you said, Banks with the slow start, do you think that when we get to this preseason game this upcoming Friday, on the depth chart, again, I know that it hasn't been released yet, but do you think that Hawkins is going to get the nod over Banks in terms of, you know, earning maybe CB1 or two in, in place of Banks? I would say probably not. Mm-hmm. I would think that, you know, if Banks is going to be a guy you want to be out on, have out on the field a lot, you're going to put him out there ahead of Hawkins. But I do think Hawkins is going to get an, a lot of snaps. Mm-hmm. You're going to see a lot of those young guys get a lot of snaps. 
So maybe, I don't know, maybe Adoree doesn't play. You know, maybe mm-hmm. Dable decides, okay, you know what? I'm not playing any of my defensive starters, my veteran starters. So I'm going to sit Dexter. I'm going to sit, sit Leo. I'm going to sit Adoree. I'm going to sit Bobby Okereke. And I'm going to play the young guys. So, you know, again, it's it's probably too early to say because they what, what Dable, I think, is going to do is he's going to go through the week and just kind of, you know, depending on the workload, that these guys get against the Lions in the two practices, then they're going to look at it and say, okay, you know what? Adoree had enough work. We're going to sit him or, or, you know, gee, uh, Banks played, you know, a lot of snaps. Maybe we'll only give him a quarter. So that's still up in the air, I think. And, and, you know, when Dable says, I haven't decided yet, I think he has a rough idea, but he's also going to take into consideration that data that comes from the practices. Yeah, I think these uh, joint practices are going to be pretty crucial for Dable as he determines what the depth chart looks like for that preseason game. But one aspect of this team that I'm keeping a close eye on with the depth chart is definitely the offensive line. Now, we have a little bit of a changeup here going on at right guard. I think we all went into training camp assuming that Mark Lewinsky would be locked in as a starter. But instead, we're seeing a lot of Ben Bredesen moving over to right guard, seeing Joshua Zidu seemingly emerging as the guy for that left guard position. And of course, the rookie John Michael Schmitz seems to be locked in at the center job, though. Brian Dable has said all three of those spots are up for grabs. And now we have a little bit of a switch up at right tackle as well with Matt Parrott going through the concussion protocol or sorry, Evan Neal going through the concussion protocol and Matt Parrott stepping in instead. So what are you seeing here with this offensive line? Mark Lewinsky, were you surprised by the fact that he got dropped down to the second team? And do you think that this is kind of a situation where Ben Bredesen is almost here to steal his job now? Probably too soon to say. I think the objective with with Ben Bredesen is they wanted to get him experienced this summer at all three positions. Because as you know, the more you can do, the better. Now, I'm not completely sold on the fact that they've decided on left guard I think they would like to long-term have Azuto play that position. Glowinski, you know, I right now I think he's still going to be the starter. I think, you know, it's his job to lose. But I also get the impression that they want to find a role for, for Bredesen. So whether that be the primary backup coming off the bench at all three interior line positions, whether he gets the left guard position, that remains to be seen. But basically, they're building Bredesen up. Because if you remember at say, at uh, center, he had what thirty snaps last year, and everybody was saying, "Oh, you know, he's an option at center." Yeah, with thirty snaps, I don't think so. So it, it's all about getting him more experience, and and um, you know, so I'm curious to see how that interior shapes out. But ultimately, I think you know, Glowinski, this could be his last year for the Giants, even though he's signed for next year, doesn't have any guaranteed money. So I could see them moving on. If Bredesen really steps up, you know, obviously I think it would be a little cheaper to sign him than to, you know, keep Glowinski. At tackle, we know Andrew Thomas is locked in. Right tackle, Evan Neal. I think they're going to stick with Evan Neal, um, you know, who, as you mentioned, is in the concussion protocol. I was kind of surprised that Tyree Phillips didn't get those snaps, but I guess they, they probably saw enough of Tyree Phillips to know what he can do. Cause remember he did play the position for them last year when Neil was hurt with the knee, Matt Parrott, on the other hand, didn't get a whole lot of snaps because if you remember, he was coming off of the, um, the pup list. I think he had what the knee or an Achilles, I forget what it was. It was a lower body injury. So I think what the coaches are doing now is they are taking a look at him. Okay. What can this guy give us? You know, can he, can he be possibly our swing tackle? 
So I think that's why you're seeing more paired because I think they know what Tyree Phillips can give them. And, uh, you know, that's an interesting battle. Who's going to win that swing tackle role? You know, you would think that Phillips, because he can play guard and tackle, would have the edge. But again, it's going to come down to who does what in the games. Yeah, again, crucial, crucial storylines going into these preseason games here. And uh, I think that also with these upcoming joint practices, we'll get really good look at Matt Parrott against some different competition and even John Michael Schmitz as well. I think it's going to be really important for this offensive line just to go up against some other players here, though. I will say I, it's iron sharpens iron on this offensive and defensive line in some ways. You've got Kayvon Thibodeau practicing against Andrew Thomas every single day, and I think that is just excellent for Thibodeau's growth and development. Um, and I know that the depth concern Depth could be a concern on the edge for the Giants. So uh, before we wrap, I do want to ask you quickly, behind Kayvon Thibodeau, behind Aziz Ojolari, who's that third guy? I know Jihad Ward is a really great run defender, and O'Shane Zimenez has been good in spurts, but depth does seem to be a concern at that spot, edge three. So I'm kind of curious who you think is going to emerge there and be that rotational pass rusher behind Thibodeau and Ojolari. Your guess is as good as mine because that is a concern for me. Um, You know, they brought in this guy uh, to Sean Bauer, um, who's, you know, he's had his moments. Um, They have an undrafted free agent and I'm going to, I'm not even going to attempt the first name because I'll butcher it, but Baldonado, I think he played his college ball in Pitt. Um, He's an intriguing prospect. You mentioned O'Shane Zimenez, who, still has his issues against the run defense. I mean, I saw way too many runs, you know, over the last couple of practices come at him and get around him on the edge. So that's still a concern. Um, Jihad Ward could give them some snaps, obviously, like you said, but to me, I would like to see them further address that position if they can. Now they're, you know, obviously they didn't make a move for uh, Yannick Nagaku, who I think signed with the bears, if I'm not mistaken, So they either feel that they're okay with what they've got and they're going to be able to work around it, whether it be, you know, because of different ways they're going to bring in blitzes and and generate pressure or, you know, they legitimately like what they have and they want to give it a chance. So that to me is the biggest question mark. And I'm not sure how that's going to play out. But me personally, I would like to see them get another guy in there who is a semi-proven pass rusher. The question is, is, You know, you might have to wait until somebody shakes free, you know, on the waiver wire, you know, so maybe there's some time before they have to worry about that if they if they feel that they do. Yeah, that's exactly the point that I was going to bring up. We know that Joe Shane keeps a close eye on the waiver wire. He's found some solid players there before. Of course, Isaiah Hodgins is the one that really stands out from last season. So I think that edge is going to be something to keep an eye on as we get through preseason, who gets cut from which team and lands on that wire. But I agree with you. I think that's a position that the Giants could definitely do a little bit more to address before we roll around into September and get to the regular season. So that's going to be an interesting one. But we've got a lot of interesting topics uh, coming out of Giants training camp, and it's really exciting. And again, Patricia, thank you so much for joining me and sharing some insight. Do you have any last words or bits of information for the fans before we wrap? Yeah, I mean, first off, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And, um, you know, Giant fans, if you if you don't know, I have my own podcast, Locked on Giants podcast. you know, you mentioned Anthony Giants Country, which is the part of Fan Nation, an SI.com sports channel. So we're doing coverage every day. I've been basically knocking out podcasts every day. We've been writing articles every day. So check out our work. And, and uh, we also have a subtext community over at Locked on Giants podcast. 
Um, you can find the details of that in our show notes of any podcast. That's a pretty cool feature. So uh, check that out as well. Yeah, everyone go check that out. All of the information will be down below in the description box. And again, Patricia, thanks so much for joining me. Um, all the listeners, make sure to leave a like if you did enjoy this episode. Subscribe to the channel if you're new. Ring the bell so you don't miss an episode. Comment your thoughts on the topic down below in the comment section. And make sure to give us a five-star review on Apple and Spotify if you're listening over there. But we will catch you all in the next one. Have a good one. And let's go Giants.